morning, church. I want to share a scripture with you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning on verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. Father, as we open your word, we are reminded right away that it is a holy text, a sacred gathering of writings. We are humbled to open this text. When we truly grasp that these words were breathed out by God himself, passed down from generation to generation, from whom we have learned this sacred text. It is now our time to discern it rightly, to open it often, and to understand what it says, and then to apply it to our life. We surely need the author's assistance, help, direction. We need you, Holy Spirit, to help us read through this text. We take this moment, Father, to ask that you would help us to have clean hands and pure hearts, to forgive us where we need to recalibrate and get back in focus with you. Thank you for your forgiveness, for your cleansing of body, mind, and soul and spirit. And now, now would you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is about to say for us, your children, your church. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and wherever you are, you can agree by saying, Amen and Amen. Well, we are in the midst of a series right now in the church entitled, The Ancient Path. It's based off of Amos chapter 8, verse 11, which reads, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God. When I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. What we are discerning through this new season is that there is not a famine of the availability of the word of God, but a famine of hearing the word of God. It's less in the churches, and it's becoming less in our own homes. We're not 
reading the Word of God as we should. It's not as active in our life as it should be. What we've done is decide to walk the ancient path. We found that in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, to choose to walk the ancient path. Just last week, we learned how to navigate that path, how to navigate through the Holy Word of God. How is it put together? How did God give it to us so that we are able to navigate through its pages? When you look at Scripture as a whole, it looks like a a monumental literary work. It's very big. But when we understand that it's actually 66 different books written by 40 different writers over a span of almost 1,600 years, yet there's only one author, and that all these 66 books have harmony with each other, and that the, the divine purpose and the divine center of all these different books is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is in all the pages of Scripture. So, how do we read such a book? We have made the decision and understand that this is a holy text and that it it should be more prevalent in our life. A simple suggestion is make sure that your personal Bible, your paper Bible in your home is out and in your way. Put it in your life, next to your chair, at the table. Keep it by you as your lifeline of instruction. So if we understand that it is a priority that we read it, and that's, that's a good understanding, but how do we actually navigate through the book? That we learned just last week. How is it put together? Where should we begin? How should we be... Uh, even knowing where to start. We did learn, though 40 different writers, there was only one author. It was the Holy Spirit himself who breathed out this book, this text. So it's not just an ancient text, it's a timeless text, and it's living and active. That's what Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 taught us. But today, instead of just learning how to navigate through all 66 books, instead of making the decision that it's a priority, let's make the assumption that we know that this text is a priority. And let's make the assumption that we understand, though we might not know all the nuances, but now we we understand how the book is put together and that it's, it is separate books, and that the word Bible is actually a plural word, meaning library. It's called Bibliae. This is a library of divine texts. What we want to look at today is how to read the divine text. How do you actually read it? You might be able to navigate through it and be able to find Genesis at the beginning and Revelation at the end, but how do you actually read such a holy text? 
That's what 2 Timothy chapter 3 is going to teach us. That's where we want to go today. So if you do have your Bible, let's open that together to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and let's begin on verse 14. While you're turning there, let me read for you 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 14 all the way down to verse 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now let's stop right there for a moment and understand from whom we learned this text. Where did we get the text? This is how we learn how to read it. Number one, it came from God himself. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, it's Paul speaking. And he said, you received the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Where did we actually receive this text from? From God himself. But then it was passed down to us through our family. Normally, we will hear through our family somehow what the Bible is. Now, you might not have heard through your family, but that's actually how it's supposed to work. We're supposed to pass this on. Let me show you. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, it says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This is how we're supposed to pass down this holy text is from the parents to the children and over and over and over again. It's supposed to go from generation to generation. Psalm 145 verse 4 says, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. That's how it's supposed to work. From generation to generation, we are passed down this sacred text. That's how it's supposed to work in the church. One generation teaches the next generation. In this particular church, we have had generation from generation Teaching, we carry the mantle, not that we began, but was passed down to us. But there's a problem with something being passed down from generation to generation. And that is that each generation, not necessarily on purpose, they add their traditions and their way of life to the text. Their interpretation of the text is what's passed on to you and I. So maybe you learned uh, about Holy Scripture, you learned about God from your parents, your grandparents, someone in your family. But they passed it on to you with their interpretation of it, not even at their own fault. It's how they learned the Word of God. Churches passed down traditions to the next generations. And some of those traditions are man-made traditions. This is how we like to do things. In my personal family, we have traditions. 
But a lot of our traditions were passed down to me by my father, which he received from his father. The problem is that we can begin to drift away from the pure word of God and we're, we're putting a lot of our weight on the traditions and the interpretation. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with the idea that as this is passed down from generation to generation, whether through your family or even outside your family, somehow you were led to the word of God from someone or some church and naturally they will pass down to you their interpretation of the word of God. And what do we do when we begin to drift away from what the text actually says? Whether it's because of our current day, whether it's because of the society that we're in and the times are changing and it seems like the book becomes irrelevant in certain places, what do we do when what was passed down to us, whether by the church or through family, is drifting from what the text actually says. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and verse 4. And it says that there's a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is happening today. It's happening actually in the current church. Ministers used to read from the word of God and they would talk about sin. They'd talk about repentance. They'd tell us to make sure that we read the scriptures Scripture was an active part of the home life where the parents read the scriptures, taught it to the children, and encouraged the children to read it for themselves. It even used to be in the schools. But we've pulled it out because it seemed opinionated. It seemed old. It, it didn't fit all of our new societal ways. And so even in the churches, shorten the teaching. Don't, don't talk about sin. Let's encourage one another. Let's talk about the things that build us up and give us a boost. And we forget to read the entirety of Scripture. And we have naturally, almost without even noticing, drifted away from sound teaching. This is also found in Jeremiah chapter 18 on verse 15 and 16. It says, But my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. They made them stumble in their ways in the ancient roads and to walk into side roads, not the highway, making their land a horror and the things to be hissed at forever. Everyone who passes by it is horrified and shakes his head. The whole land that drifts from the truth becomes something that is, is laughed at, it says. So if we were to look at a church, can you imagine if the church heard from God, you have forgotten me? 
It's become all about you. See, even in our worship and how we honor God can become about us and not about Him. I want to be built up in worship. I want to feel it. I hope they sing my favorite songs. It became about us and not about Him. When we hear the teaching from the Word of God, which is the bedrock of the church, the teaching is about building you up and not about learning about Him. What we're supposed to do is not be so focused on us, but focused on Him. If we would learn more about God, it would help us be built up. But we're going at it from the wrong angle, from the wrong trajectory, to say that I want to be built up, encourage me, when what we should do is talk more about God And in so doing, we are humbled and find our right place. Did you know we even do this in prayer? We pray for all the things that we need and we want. How often do you spend time in prayer just honoring God? Remember when he taught us to pray, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. This is all about Him. It has nothing to do with us yet. Your name is holy. You are almighty. Do you pray that way? Or do we come to God in prayer the same way we come to God in the scriptures? What can I get out of this? Do you see how we have naturally drifted as this word has been passed down from generation to generation? The church has become about us and not about him. So when we read Jeremiah 18, it says, My people have forgotten me. We want short services that are clean and crisp and about us. And what we need to desire is what God said he wanted, which was, That we worship with reverence and awe, in decency and in order to honor Him for His purpose. Now, we will be blessed in doing that, but our focus is off. So what do we do? How do we get off when it's been passed down to us with a bend on it? If your parents thought a certain way, then you kind of naturally lean in that direction. It goes like that with almost anything in life. This is how I was brought up. It's how I was raised, to kind of lean in that direction. That might be true in a lot of things in life, in, in what we do, how we eat, how we keep our home, how we raise our children. All of that passed down from generation to generation. Accept the word of God. What we need to do often is recalibrate in the Word of God. What do I mean by that? We need to go back to the holy text itself. This has not changed. Though generations have have added their interpretation to it, we must recalibrate by reading the sacred text itself. Go back to the Word of God and read it yourself. Not with the biased, just read it in its purity. 
In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, it says that they read the word of God plainly and taught it clearly. So we want to make sure that we are going back and recalibrating, making sure that we don't just add our tradition to it, but that we read it as a landmark. See, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28, it tells us, do not move the ancient landmarks that your fathers have said. This is, the word of God is the ancient landmark that cannot be moved. So when society begins to take us over here, we go back to the word, we see what it says, and we don't move this ancient landmark. Yeah, well, this is becoming acceptable over here. Yes, but we go back and we recalibrate and we make sure that we don't move this ancient landmark. How do you read your Bible? Read it in its purity. Read it in its context. Make sure that you grasp what the text is actually saying and then apply it in its purity, not adding your own bias that was passed down to you, your own traditions. Make sure you read the text for what it actually says. Psalm 119 Verse 4 and verse 5 say, You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. When you take your traditions, how you were brought up, and we, we have all these phrases now, charismatic, you know, the kind of the modern church with all of its thinking, and then we have the traditional and all of its thinking. See, when we were brought up in these two different weights and measures, we're adding the traditions on either side onto the Word of God. We, we plaster this, this lens over the text. So we read the text with the lens of our upbringing our spiritual upbringing. So just imagine if you were brought up in a way uh, where the churches saw things a certain way, you take that lens, you lay it over the text, and you read the text with the lens of your traditions. But if you are brought up in a, a very traditional way, then you take that lens and you put that on the text and you read it through the lens of your traditions. And what I'm telling you is the best way to read Scripture is to remove the lens of your traditions and read it purely. What does it actually say? And I guarantee you, if you're willing to do that, whatever side you land on, whichever side of the aisle you sit, you will have to make adjustments because the Bible is not on one aisle or the other. The Word of God is the source of divine truth. It is the ancient landmark. It does not move. So whatever lens that you have in your upbringing, let's not read Scripture through that lens. Let's make sure we remove it so that we can understand it correctly. I want to show you one last thing on this topic, and it's found in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. It has to do with the Apostle Paul coming into a small town called Berea. And he was teaching them about Jesus. 
But instead of just taking Paul's word for it, the Bereans did something that no one else did, and they were praised for it. And it says this, in Acts chapter 17, 11, they received the word with all eagerness. They heard what Paul had to say. But then it says this, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They went and checked the scriptures to make sure that Paul wasn't leaning one way or the other. This is what you and I are supposed to do. We call it being a Berean. What we want to do is examine the scriptures. So when you hear it from the pulpit of the church, go examine the scriptures. If it's a good pastoral teaching, it will only confirm what you see in the pages of scripture. But if it's a biased pastoral preaching, where it tells you things that are not in the word of God, but that person's personal perspective, then be a Berean. Go to the word of God and check it. And you'll be able to make the right adjustments. This is how you and I recalibrate and make sure that from generation to generation, we pass down a pure word. That's the first way that you learn to read your Bible. Let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you still have your Bible open, let's look at verse 15 now. It says this, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. From childhood. Now we had looked at this already earlier that passed down from generation to generation. Now, this is actually Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy isn't the one necessarily writing this. It's Paul writing to Timothy. And Paul called Timothy his son. He wasn't his earthly son, but he had adopted him and trained him up. Actually, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, it says, To Timothy, my beloved child. Paul is training up. Timothy. When it says from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, it doesn't necessarily mean that it came from when you were young you learned these things, because a lot of us did not learn these divine truths until we were older in life. But what we want to do is make sure we have good mentors in our life that make sure that they lead us through the Word of God. I want to show you, though, that Timothy actually did come from a godly family. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Inyun, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. It's been passed down from his grandmother to his mother that he was brought up in this, but Paul was a mentor to Timothy and made sure he stayed in a good place. How do you read scripture correctly? You make sure that you surround yourself with others that are reading it correctly and allow people to speak into your life. That is a very, very hard thing for us to do, especially us New Englanders who really don't like people speaking into our lives. But... 
From childhood means both if you were raised up in it, passed down from your parents, or, or making sure that you have a pastor or a mentor that understands the Word of God and is allowed to speak into your life. I also want to point out, though, before we go to verse 16, that in verse 15, he says to be acquainted with sacred writings. Sacred writings. This is a holy text. Now, we don't have time to go over all the details on why this is holy, other than the fact it was literally written by God himself, breathed out by him. But I want to show you how this text is unlike any other text. It's been on the top of the bestseller list since it was put into print. It's been the most printed document in human history. It's changed people's lives unlike any other text in all of human history. It's more accurate than all the other texts. It gives us a farther back on our history and farther forward into our future than any other text. But I want to give you one quick example to show you how God personally defends his word. Now, there are thousands and thousands of stories on how God defends his word and how it was passed down to you and I from generation to generation and how martyrs have given their life to defend the text that you have in your lap. And that's why you shouldn't take it lightly. But here's just one story that I wanted to share with you about how God defends his word. And it goes all the way back to a French philosopher whose name was Voltaire. Voltaire, towards the end of his life, gave a very famous speech. And when he spoke, because he was so well respected, it was hard to even find venues large enough where people could hear what he had to say. But when Voltaire spoke on one of his last speeches he ever gave, he arrogantly and audaciously announced that within 100 years, this thing they call the word of God would fall off into the abyss of irrelevance. What a cocky statement. And they even wrote in the history books that it was arrogant and audacious. He's saying, look, this thing they call the word of God, it might be popular now, but it's going to fall off. It's just a trendy thing. It'll, it'll be gone in a hundred years. Well, Voltaire died soon after he gave that speech. And because he was so well respected, instead of just selling off his property, they put it up for auction so that the right people could buy the property and turn it into some sort of memorial. But what's interesting is when his house was put up for auction, the company that won the auction, when the gavel fell, was the French Bible Society. And they actually moved into Voltaire's personal house and used that house to print all the Bibles. God defends his word. This is a sacred, holy text. God will ordain that his word will last from generation to generation. That's the sacredness of this text.
Do you notice that it also in verse 15 says that it's able to make you wise? It's one of the only books that can make you wise. Books can give you knowledge, which I think you should be reading. Knowledge is good. Knowledge, you know what knowledge is. It's being able to understand something. But wisdom is the application of knowledge. To be able to apply the knowledge to the right place. To be able to be wise thinking. Seeing things the right way. This text is a book of wisdom. Actually, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 says, The Lord gives wisdom. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Actually, in James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. God desires for you and for me to be wise, discerning. Wisdom comes not by you thinking real hard, Wisdom comes through this holy text. But let's go to verse 16. Because in verse 16, it gives us the next piece of how to read our Bibles. Now you have heard, if you've listened to me ever teach before, you hear this statement often, that you should read your Bible. We have learned and are learning today how to Go about doing that very simple practice of reading our Bible. Number one, don't put the lens of tradition on the Bible when you read it. But here might be the most practical guide from Paul to Timothy, now to you and I, on how to actually go about reading it. So let's pay very close attention because this is the final piece, the final tool for your tools, your tool belt, to really grasp what to do when you read the Bible. Let's look at it closely. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable, and here are the four things, teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Those are the four things that we're about to look at when we read Scripture. Number one, teaching. So what I want to do is show you how the Greek gives us the definition of each one of these words. Teaching means literally to learn in righteousness. You know what teaching means. It means the same thing in Greek. To learn something. When you go to read your Bible, go in ready to learn something. If we're going to the scriptures only to confirm something, we go to it inappropriately. Go to the scriptures to read it to learn something. Not to bring something and say, well, I have an opinion and I'm just trying to find out how I can back up my opinion. We do that a lot. I lean this way, and so I'm going to find all the scriptures that push that way. Well, I lean this way, and so I'm going to find all the scriptures that push in this direction. In our nation, are you not right now watching people literally use Holy Scripture 
simply to back their personal bias. Wrong thing to do. What we need to do is open the Word of God and let it teach us, not just confirm our pre-existing opinions. We go to the Word of God to learn. Jeremiah 3.15 says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. This refers to pastors. Pastors are supposed to teach the Word of God. They don't. Often they give you stories and little good words, things to build you up. And we've shortened the time of the teachers, the pastors, because we want them to fit into a mold now. Don't keep us in the church too long. Don't read too many scriptures. Just make us feel good. The original point of the pastor was not to make you feel good, but to teach you the word of God, to read it and explain it clearly. You should come to the house of God, or in this case, listen to these recordings to learn something, not to just confirm something. Have you ever heard a sermon from a pastor and you walked away and you said, boy, he just read my mail. It's like he spoke right into my own life. The pastor cannot do that on his own ability. The pastor is supposed to speak to the entire group, not to just one person in the group and isolate them, but to teach the flock of God, which he is a member of. This is what scripture says. This is how we apply it to our life. They were never designed to be rock stars and put up on pedestals. They were to be respected. We should respect those who are called to teach the word of God. Scripture even tells us not many should take that position for multiple reasons, but one of them is the teachers, the pastors, will be held to a higher standard than all the rest of us. One way that you can read scripture is to make sure that you surround yourself with a pastor that teaches it. So that's why God gave us pastors, teachers, not to suit your own passion, but to teach the sacred writings. But secondly, we also have the Holy Spirit as a teacher. John chapter 14, verse 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So the pastor might teach you, which is why God calls us to be a fellowship and to gather together or to listen together to what the teacher says. But we also have, when the teacher's not available, we also have the Holy Spirit. The teacher is merely a human, which means he's imperfect. The Holy Spirit is not at all imperfect. He is purely perfect, which means he is your teacher. When you read the word of God, make sure you make room to learn. Number two, reproof. 
Reproof is different in Greek than what we might think reproof in English. Elekos, censoring and self-control. None of us like either of those words, but that's what reproof actually means. To censor oneself and to have self-control. How do we apply that to reading the Word of God? When we read the Word of God, it should teach us what we should say, what we should not say. Let me give you an example. James chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 says, it's speaking of our words, our tongue. It says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, meaning when we speak, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. When you come and read the word of God, it should teach you to censor yourself. That has gone out the window in our current society. One of the ways that we have learned to not censor ourselves is to no longer have face-to-face conversations, but to communicate our personal bias on some sort of a social media site, a way that we can say what we want and who cares who's offended by it. Did you know that when you actually read scripture, it should reprove you? The word self-control, do you remember Galatians? Chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Remember this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Remember that? The last one, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit means the proof that the Spirit of God is in you is self-control. To not say something can take far more bravery than to say something. Did you know that when you come to the Word of God, it should reprove you, it should censor you, it should cause you to have self-control. It teaches you, don't say these things, speak these things. So when you read the Word of God, you need to let it teach you, and you need to let it censor you. The next one is correction. We should probably just skip that one because none of us like to be corrected. Maybe we'll just move on to training. Well, I can't hear if you're making an objection, but I'm going to go ahead and say what correction actually means. And maybe you can just fast forward through this part if you don't want to hear it. But correction. When you read your Bible... You need to let it correct you. The word correct in Greek means to turn. To turn. We we don't like to turn. We don't like to be corrected. But the word of God is pure truth. You and I are not. So when we read the word of God and you get to that passage that you disagree with, What do we do? When it says something that you don't like, that causes you to make an adjustment in your life, 
scratch it out, or correction. Turn. Make an adjustment. You need to read the Word of God and allow it to correct you. Bad news, you're not always right. But the Word of God is. So, when you read that scripture and you don't like it, make sure you read it in its proper context so you know what it really says. And if it really says that, you need to change. We don't change. Remember, don't move the ancient landmark. Scripture doesn't follow society. Society should submit to the timeless word of God. Now, where does it say that in Scripture? Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. What a promise for our nation. But what a promise because that heal the land can, yes, mean our nation, but it can also mean your personal territory. Heal your home. When you make that decision to change, to be corrected, to turn away from the wrong way and focus on the right way according to Scripture, it'll heal your home. It'll heal your relationship. It'll heal your marriage. It'll heal your parenting with your children. Those things will be healed when you make the corrections and line up with the Word of God. And then, training. That's the last one. Now, you would think that teaching and training are the same thing. Remember the first one, when it said, this is how you should read your Bible, is you should let it teach you. And then at the end it says, you should let it train you. If we weren't paying attention, it might mean literally the same thing to us. But in the Greek, teaching means to learn, and training means to put to practice. So let's take, if I were to teach you how to play chess. My family loves to play chess. My children and I love to play chess. So, I can teach them how to play chess. These, this is how the, the pieces move. This is how the pawn moves. This is how the bishop moves. This is how the rook moves. But that's different than putting it to practice. I remember teaching my youngest daughter how to play chess by first showing her the names of all the pieces and how the pieces move. But then we went from teaching to training, where we said, now let's play our first game. We began to practice the things that we learned. So when she would make a move, and we'd say, you can't make that move. It doesn't move in that position. She'd go back and remember what she was taught, and then she would put it to practice. So when you're reading the Word of God, 
You need to not only have it teach you, have, you know, to learn what it says, but you actually need to put it to practice. Practice what it says. Do it. it you know, James went so far as to say, don't be just a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. We are stuck in teaching and we have forgotten to put it to practice. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15 says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Now here is one of the last things I want to say about this idea. If others do not see the progress that you are making, are you making progress that's visible? When you read the Word of God, it should be an ongoing refinement in your life. When you're reading the Word of God and it no longer convicts you to make adjustments, you're not reading it right. Look at again what Paul said to Timothy in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 15. So that all may see your progress. Remember how we said to surround ourselves with teachers, surround ourselves with mentors that help us to understand correctly the Word of God? There should be an outward sign of an inward maturity. An outward sign of an inward maturity. If you're still doing the wrong things, but you're saying, oh, I, I read my Bible, I learned a bunch of clever things, um, I haven't really applied it to my life yet, but man, I learned a ton of stuff. Did you know that all these things were, and I memorized four different passages, and I, I read 20 chapters a day, and good for you, there's no change in your life to prove this, then you're not reading it correctly. If you're reading scripture just to consume as much of it as you can, but it doesn't make the adjustments in your life, you're not reading it right. This past week, I had several members of this fellowship ask me, where should I start reading? One particular lady, she beat me to it. She already picked the book that she wanted to read and before I could respond to her. And she said, you know, I, I read the, chap, the first chapter of this book and it was so beautiful, I read it again. And it was so beautiful, I read it again. And I haven't been able to make it past the first chapter. It's just washing over my life. The second man said, I need to be challenged in my faith. Where should I read? And I sent him to the, the book of James. The first thing that James says is, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds. He said, I made it three verses in. I couldn't go any farther. But I read it again. And I read it again. See, these are people that are not just reading to consume as much text as possible. They're doing what it says. They're actually being taught and then putting it to practice. And sometimes when you're taught something, it takes a while to put it to practice. How do you read your Bible? You need to let it teach you so that you learn, reprove you to censor you and cause self-control. You need to let it correct you so you turn and you need to start letting it train you so that you're actually putting it to practice. That's how 
you should read your Bible. And it ends with verse 17. All the way back to where we began, 2 Timothy 3.17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's what we want. To know we are fully complete and equipped. You have all the quiver. Your, your quiver is full. So you don't need to say, you know, I, I need more. You have all that you need available to you. But I want you to know, Hebrews 13, verse 20 says, Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will. You have all that you need in this text. It is a holy text. But will you actually read it? Or is it just an idea? Is it just a, I know it's a holy book. I know I should read it. I'll give it five minutes a day. You flop it open to some random spot. You point your finger. You read the random text. You hope it builds up your faith. You close the text. You go about your life. And you wonder why you're anxious, not at peace, not living the life that God desired for you to live. Having a hard time making decisions. Well, make the right choice. Choose the ancient path. Learn how to navigate it. And this is how you actually read it. You read it to let it teach you something. To reprove you. To tell you what to say and the bravery not to say. You need to let it correct you. It's right, you're not. And lastly, you got to put it to practice. So much so that those around you will notice a difference in your life. My prayer for you is that you give time to read your Bible. Don't fit it in to your life. Put your life around the word of God. Put it in the center of your life, in the center of your home. Raise your children learning this text correctly. Don't put the lens of your tradition on the text. Read it as it is written. Let it speak to you. Listen to the godly pastors and then take what they say like the Bereans and check your Bible and make sure it lines up with the purity of this sacred work. This is how you read your Bible. If you do this, you'll walk in peace and you won't be anxious and you will be satisfied with all that God has already given you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for, again, this sacred text. It is holy, it's perfect, without flaw. But Father, we need you to help us in our weakness. Our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak to actually read the text of Scripture the way you wanted us to read it, to, to learn from it, to turn 
when it differs from our opinion, for us to have the maturity and the strength to make the adjustments to not move ancient landmarks, but to adjust our path to line up with the word of God. Thank you that the author of the divine text lives within us, the Holy Spirit. The author gives us the commentary of the text so that we can apply it. And then we recognize, the mature Christian recognizes that they have all that they need. They're complete and equipped for every good work. You've already given us all that we need. Now we need to read it, understand it, and apply it. Father, as we close this time together, we, your children, we want to pray the way that this sacred text taught us to pray. Though we are not all unified in one building right now, we are unified in the Spirit. And so in the Spirit, we pray together as one family under God. We join together by praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory for ever. Amen. God bless you all. Until we meet again.